such a phenomenal football player. This one for John. Welcome to the new episode of uh, Nuggets Serbia podcast, or if you're a primary English listener, Nuggets Serbia podcast, which sounds much different than the first thing I said. Uh, my name is Miroslav. I'm calling from Pančevo near Belgrade in Serbia. In Studio 2 in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, it's Voja. Good evening, Voja. Hello, everybody. And we have a special, special uh, surprise for you guys. Uh, we have the great pleasure to welcome a basketball coach, the NBA writer and the podcaster extraordinaire, Dave DeFour. Welcome, Dave. I don't know about extraordinaire, but I do those things. That <laughs> it's debatable as to how well, but I do them. <laughs> Man, you're, you're, a big, you're, you're a big star, uh, at least among okay, us yes, nerds. I, I will sure. take that. Yeah, I'll agree. Yeah, okay. So most people know you for your great hosting of the Athletics Nerder She Wrote podcast. And as of recently, the Rainbow Skyline podcast about the Denver Nuggets also on the Athletic. Can you please tell me uh, a bit about your coaching uh, experience, the, the way you started coaching and uh, how it goes on well, know, I mean, now, was, nowadays? Yeah, well, now I'm not coaching at all. Um, I actually haven't had a coaching job for the last two years. Um I move a lot, and uh, I left a high school coaching job and decided I didn't really want to coach at high school anymore. Um, I coached club in Europe in, uh, when I was in Germany for four years, and I really enjoyed that. But I started coaching, you know, just kids in the gym, uh, high school kids that wanted to make a basketball team, and I was just doing it for free. It was just something to do to pass the time, get me in the gym, and that sort of fueled the the flames that made me want to actually coach games and run a team and all that stuff. And I was lucky to get an opportunity to, to do that in Aachen, Germany. And, you know, it was a great experience and, and probably changed my life, honestly. I, I don't know. I definitely wouldn't be doing what I do now if I hadn't done that then. Um, and I'm not sure that I would be doing anything in basketball if I hadn't gotten that job at that moment because it really forced me to put all my eggs into that basket and say, you know what, all right, I'm, I'm a basketball coach. I'm going to be a basketball coach. Um, you know, and it's a lot of work. So, you know, it's not something that you can just do halfway. Mm, great. Great. Uh, can you tell me how you started working on the Rainbow Skyline podcast with, with Kendra Andrews? What, was it because you were you were already the Nuggets Whisperer in the, the Athletic, <laughs> you know, national-wise? Or uh, was it just a coincidence that they needed a, a guy there? Well, I, it, it was a happy coincidence. Let's put it that way. So, uh, you know, our, our one of our beat reporters for the Nuggets... Nick Kosmider, he moved over to cover the Denver Broncos. Yeah. And Kendra was taking over the beat on her own. And so, you know, it made sense to kind of give her a platform that was more focused on her and the work that she was doing. I'm already a host, you know, and, and I know all these teams really well. I clearly know the Nuggets extremely well. Um, and I have been sort of the Jokic evangelist to a certain degree for, for our pods where, you know, I might be the one guy – I, I might give him too much respect, to be honest with you. Like, there is a certain point where it's like I tend to gush about a guy who's that creative and, 
and that skilled and also so seemingly out of place in the sport outside of being seven feet tall, you know? So um, I'm sure part of that played into it, but I think more than anything, it was just, uh, it was a testament to maybe the athletics belief that I can do well with anybody. I, I can, you know, I can have chemistry with anyone. And I lucked into doing this with Kendra, who is amazing. She's very good at her job. She is a consummate professional. She's fun to work with. She's been a great uh, collaborator for these shows. You know, I mean, we actually, we rec almost record full podcasts that you guys never hear because we are usually so fired up to talk, you know, talk, to talk about something right before we record. And so I think you can feel that energy when, when we get going. So it's been a great time. Like, I'm really enjoying it. I'm looking forward to doing it for a whole season next year, you know. I picked up during the pandemic, which it was it was great for me because it did give me a time to sort of establish, you know, myself in the sort of Nuggets arena to a certain degree. And we got to talk on the on the periphery of the team quite a bit, which is something that when you do this nationally, you know, it can be hard to discuss PJ Dozier to a certain degree. I'm not going to really bring him up on Nerder She Wrote, no offense to PJ, but on the Nuggets show, we get to talk about PJ Dozier and, and how how important his contract is for this team next year, you know, things like that. So um, I like doing the team shows. I also, you know, I host the, the Dallas show, 77 minutes in heaven, and it's kind of the same deal. You know, I get to work with somebody who I really love to work with Tim Cato. He's awesome. Mm -hmm. And it's something different than what we do on Nerder She Wrote, where Nerder She Wrote is so big picture. It's really nice to dive in on one particular team. And I'm during the playoffs. I thought, we were doing some of our best work, and it just so happened that the team was also doing some of its best work. So, you know, it's funny when that works out. And, I mean, again, Kendra is great to work with. So uh, it's a lot of fun. Excellent. I can tell you uh, we don't have the time to listen to many national voices because we feel that national voices are still not uh, giving enough credit to Denver Nuggets. So you were among the rare national voices uh, we've been following for for years now, so you can, you can be happy about that, and you you end uh, up to, at, at a, yeah at, yeah it's, it's just because you know you need to understand uh, the basketball uh, worldwide to understand Nikola Jokic and and how they play a bit better because it's completely unorthodox for the for the NBA style of play. Don't you uh, yeah, I mean, like you talked about, you, you said like you gushed a lot about him. I mean. Uh, you be you're you're in the same conversation then as like Jalen Rose because he's the one that like probably the the only one on ESPN and and like national TV that is you know that can come out and say hey I love this man so much I'm gonna need therapy if they then pull off another one three comeback and it's that's kind of I mean now it's like a really cool thing to say that you're one of the, the early ones to be on his on his because again it's so easy to like disparage him yeah. as, a, as a as a as just a appearance in the NBA. I feel that way about most players, though. I think it's easier to knock players for the things that they can't do than to celebrate the things they can do. Yep. And I try to do more of the celebrating than the knocking. Everyone does the knocking. I think celebrating the things they're great at, and in particular, the things that they're great at that the average person doesn't realize they're great at. You know, like Jokic does some tricky stuff that unless you know the game, you just don't see it. I mean, he's seeing these passes, and, and we watch him throw these passes that are incredible, but he's recognizing these passing lanes two passes before he gets the ball. 
you know, he's, he's often positioning his body in a way so that when he receives the pass, he's ready to make that next pass. And I, I love to celebrate that. I mean, I'm a basketball coach. That's the nerdy stuff that I love. I mean, that's why the show, like it's called Nerder She Wrote for that sort of, you know, very tight view, you know, like look at this weird thing that he's able to do that he does in a unique way. And so I just think it's more fun to do that. One of the first things I ever wrote when I started doing media stuff was about Jokic and Emmanuel Moutier. It was was about Jokic being an all-star center and how he has this preternatural feel for basketball. And, you know, the, the question marks, you know, were the question marks, but I think he's answered all those. You know, you know you can have a passable defense with him as a center, um, and that was the big one, right? You know that he is able to take his volume up. You know that he's able to make the team around him better. Uh, Emmanuel Moutier, uh, you know, I was wrong about it. I'll be wrong about that. I, I, I will, I, I'm okay with that because I still love Emmanuel Moutier, and I'm not convinced that he's not going to be a decent player. Um, but, you know, I, it was literally one of the first things I wrote. And so, you know, you guys all know Adam Morris, my yeah. good buddy. Uh, he and I bonded over Jokic initially because we, you know, he's been high on Jokic since he saw him as he'll recount anytime he gets a chance. <laughs> saw him at summer league for the first time. And he was just like starry eyed over Jokic. So, you know, um, that's sort of, that was the start of it is I wrote that thing about Jokic and had a chance to really dig into the film of him from his, from his first season. And, you know, I, all the signs were there for anybody who was willing to look. The guy is a point guard. Quit treating him as a center. You treat him as a point guard and watch how that offense improves when he touches the ball. It's very easy to find all the bright spots. I wanted to ask you. Yeah, yeah, just one thing. I wanted to ask you about those angles uh, of how he puts his body into the right position to make a correct pass every time. Do you think this is something that he was able to learn from somebody or do you think it just comes naturally? Now, I know he worked with the center whisperer over there um and and so i'm sure that helps right like and being able to work and learn from other big men you know people who are your size and and sort of have your skill set i mean even boban is a pretty good passer you know you watch those guys those serbian centers that are coming through the same program they all have pretty good vision but i think the way that he does it is so unconventional but it works and what i'm guessing is he just did it his way they found out this guy has even more more feel than than the other guys who are really good at passing, and they just let him do it. And so him being unconventional, it's. I mean, you guys have all played bat. You played basketball before, right? You ever yeah. you ever play against a lefty and you hadn't played against a lefty for a while, and he kind of fools you, right? It's because it's untraditional, it's unconventional, and I think that Jokic, like a large part of his success, yes, he's he's amazing at this stuff, but. The way he does it is so unique that it's harder to guard. I mean, this is how he, you know, and, and it doesn't hurt that he's got great chemistry with his teammates. And they they trust him enough to cut hard, and they know they're going to get the ball. So it's very synergistic, but but it starts with, with him just being so unorthodox that teams don't know where the pass is going to come from. And I, I'm guessing that his coaches, inst- instead of trying to coach the creativity out of him, which happens a lot, they embraced it and really let, told him to just, you know, let it fly. Yeah, I, okay. I, I, like I, can, I can add on that because, I mean, I grew up in that system. I played since I was seven and six, seven years old to like 19 till I got to college. And it's it's something that I guess, I mean, that's like the Yugoslavian school of basketball, like the old one, mm-hmm. is that you get to learn 
you know, when it's good coaches, they don't fit you into a box, right? At you're seven years or 10 years old. You're not, if you're six feet tall at like elementary school, you don't get forced to be center at that age. You get to learn every aspect of the game. And it's just that Jokic does that on like every, you know, how many degrees better than, every, you know, how many orders of magnitude better than everyone else. But it's that thing that you start with as, you know, coaches encourage that. And then you just, okay, this guy's astronomically better at everything. And so he's going to become what he is. But that's what he said. Boban, I mean, a lot of our centers, like most like Radulica was, was a great in Olympics. Like you start, you know, obviously then you have Milos Teodosic at the, at the guard position. that is like a magician and Jokic is on that level. But that's something that's like, it's just that how I think our school of basketball is in Europe. A lot of it in general, it's hard and and that's allowed. And it's not, he wasn't fit in a box of, okay, you have to just be a post-up guy. And because you're taller than everyone else, you're going to just dunk on people and you're going to limit it. So I think that's kind of what confuses people here is that just that different system of how, how kids grow up and you, because you're coaching and you're, Intention basketball that's the nerdy stuff that you talked about the positioning and that i like when i was you know when you see him first few times and he throws that off the bounce with the little spin between the guys yeah, yeah. yeah and you don't like you know regular fans are gonna be like oh it's a cool like oh got the pass and you don't even understand how it's like a quarterback throwing his receiver wide open yep. in the yeah. nfl and it's it's just poetic and you know that's why i think and because then you say what you know his you know the deficiencies in other ways people it's so it's so easier to just trash and then like down you know downgrade people and with him it's just beautiful and i think because we you know we, because where we come from it's that's the culture that that you go from and not to like tout serbia as the best ever or anything just that you you grow that from when you're young you get that ability mm-hmm. it's like i was a tall guy but i knew how to pass like my friends like i have all tall guys that everyone knew how to pass obviously not to that level but sure, sure. encouraged to learn everything just because you're a complete player that way the, you know coaching a team in europe i got to take from them a lot of the stuff that i thought was worthwhile one of the things that is extremely worthwhile is that you know the club that i that i coached at a lot of their uh, individual skill work was passing. So you were learning to make plays with the ball, not with the ball in your hands. And, and so I think that that helps too. You know, all these guys are coming out, they know to look up. You know, Think about Lonzo Ball and how special he seemed because he was constantly looking up the court like LeBron James and Kevin Love. Well, all these guys coming out of Europe, you know, minus Mario Hazonia are doing it, right? Yeah, like, yeah. And by the way, I love his, I love, still love Hazonia because I love a good, confident guy. But I know what you mean, yeah. yeah. But, but they're all looking up court, so they're all looking to make that play. And that comes from the way that they start out training, where it's not about beating your man off the dribble. It's about using the ball to beat the other team. And, and so, you know, there's, I, I, I would like to see more of that come into the States, although I'd argue that the under 22-year-old guys in the NBA right now are the most unselfish to like group of you know four year players or whatever to ever play in the NBA. They're incredible teammates. Uh, you yeah. can see that with the way they pass. I mean, Trey Young, we we talk about how you know how much he shoots and how much he dominates the ball, but I mean that guy has a Jokic like ability to make passes and, and make plays for guys. You know, he doesn't have the same size, so I don't think it looks as easy, and it may not be as flashy because you know again the size really helps Jokic there. Uh, but he does have amazing passing ability. And, and, you know, you mentioned that little cut pass that Jokic likes to throw. I also like to throw that pass because I like to get those passes. Because when you're cutting to the basket, it's 
it's great when that ball is actually coming coming to you. Right? It's an easier ball to catch and go straight to the hoop. And and for jump shooters, if he's throwing that cut pass and it's coming toward you, the laces are spinning the way you want to catch it. And that's another thing that he's great at. LeBron's also great at, at passing to shooters, you know, in a way that they don't have to be right in the basket. Exactly. And, and so, you know, it's that kind of stuff that really makes Jokic such a joy to watch. I think he's one of the greatest of all time at, at, at passing. And I mean, mm-hmm. you mentioned Milos Teodosic. Uh, that's one of my five or six favorite basketball players ever to watch. Oh my and, God. And my list is insane because it's like Manu, uh, Boris Diaw. I mean, it's all these guys who are creative yeah. at, at making their teammates better. Um, and so, you know, I, I think putting Jokic in the same category as, as a Teodosic, I mean, that's high praise and I don't disagree with it. Yeah. And I mean, I, like, that's the thing, like always people fight about, you know, like always oh, you're the best passing big. And it's like, I don't think it should be even discussed as a best passing big. It should be discussed as the best passer period For, just from, yeah. from flair and style. And I mean, and then you said about looking up, like, sorry, I just, sorry, Marisla, I just got to like, this is really fascinating because, you know, because the coaching drills and stuff for a lot of things that you like, you know, you remember as, as you're passing through that, through that, uh, you know, training regimen through yeah. like in Serbia is uh, a lot of pickup, five on five without a dribble that you have yep. to like yep. so we we used to remember like our coaches we used to he used to make us do pick and roll without a dribble just with pivoting to get an advantage and it worked like you know you can do that even with just with you know a couple of pivots that and then like a lot of those drills of like you know throwing the ball off the backboard and then you catch it on a rebound and first thing you do is like you try it obviously turn around and look and then usually it's a warm-up drill where it's people in pairs you throw it off the backboard the other guy runs and you try to yep. you know you do the baseball pass and that's just something that gets ingrained and it's not an accident that a lot of these guys do that and it's really i mean it's really awesome to see just you know more and more like you know now it's pokushevsky is like talked about as the next guy like oh that kind God. of stuff is like i love to see that because they're the guys that it's not just a solo like one trick pony it's that right we're People are getting noticed that, you know, we're getting talent out there that's like – They're basketball players. Yeah, exactly. They're basketball yeah. players. And this is the thing and, – and people are picking up on this um, – is that Europe used to create guys who were like considered finesse guys. All right. This is not true. This was – these were the guys who made it to the States, yeah. which were few. And now I think the world is starting to see – when you look at the league and it's like almost 25% foreign players. Right, like the world is starting to see. Uh, no, they had basketball players. Like Drazen is is the name that everyone thinks of when they think of the Balkans. And Drazen was amazing. I loved Drazen as a kid because, I mean, a guy with that much confidence. Again, I love Mario Hazonia. Uh, <laughs> Drazen, like Hazonia, has that Drazen confidence. He doesn't have the skill. <laughs> and and so, but like when you think about Drazen, like that guy was a complete basketball player. And they, but they were so few and far between, or they were coming over. Like Sabonis came over, it was still really good, but it was old. Yeah. And and so many of the guys come over, like Teodosic coming over at, at the age that he did, where athletically, you know, and let's be honest, like maybe from a training perspective as well, he wasn't up to snuff necessarily for the NBA. But then you watch yeah. him out there just doing stuff, and it's like, oh no no no, if this guy had been in the NBA the whole time, maybe yeah. he's one of the greatest point guards ever. And yep. it's because of that feel of the game and, and because in, in particular in Serbia, I think you guys are doing a great job of creating basketball players. <laughs> Thank you. It's, it's not the two of us, but some, no, some of the other guys. You guys all the credit. <laughs> the Serbian delegation. 
but but tell me, do, do 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 you have uh, how to say uh, knowledge on Pokushevsky? You you just smiled when I, when Voya mentioned him. Yeah, I have watched a lot of film of Pokushevsky, and man, they're like two guys in this draft that that I think are going way too low, and he's one of them. He just looks like he could be a star. I mean, everything about him. I mean, the feel – at worst, he's a rotation guy. At worst. Yeah. And you just watch him play, and at his age, and, you know, clearly there's some concerns about his body or whatever. You know I mean? But he's 17 or maybe just turned 18. I mean, he's young. So, you know, I, I think it would be worth a flyer. I, I would be shocked, actually, if he drops below 12. I, I yeah. think he looks – he looks like a really good basketball player. And that back to your point, you know, he can just do so many things. The passing, his defense is good. Like he moves his feet well. He can shoot. He's got a great shot. Nothing about him seems mechanical. It's one of my issues with uh, Avdia is that uh, he's mm-hmm. really got talent, but it just feels too mechanical. And I don't know in the NBA if you can get away with that. I think that's part of why when we look at prospects, you know, you can see a guy who was fantastic in college basketball, you know, 30-point-a-game scorer, uh, the NBA might not necessarily be interested in him because of what, how that translates. And I think being mechanical can get you a certain level of success, especially in lesser leagues. But when you get to the NBA, you got to be a little bit more unpredictable. Okay. Uh, so we, we, we've uh, heard very nice things about Jokic and about Yugoslav basketball. But now I want to, to get into something ugly. If if we can, <laughs> can you tell me what about the Nuggets play makes you uh, uh, mad the most when you watch them? Are there any things that you you really hate in their, you know, uh, how to say, uh, uh, usual stuff they do game to game? Um, From I mean, Kate coaching for perspective, for sure. Uh, you know, I, I think Mike Malone's a really good coach. I think we ju- we saw him coach. Great basketball with a limited roster. I mean, remember, no Will Barton, Gary Harris coming back from injury. So, like, the chemistry wasn't there. And what they were able to accomplish, I I thought that they kind of maxed out what should be expected of them this year. You know, I mean, making the Western Conference Finals is a big deal. I don't think you could come up with another scenario that plays out better than what they did this year. Right? So, really, it's hard to criticize what they've done. I would I would argue, you know, uh, too much Plumley, but I say that every day, right? Like any Plumley is almost too much Plumley, and so you know I, I expect them to upgrade there to backup center. Um, they may upgrade by downgrading. They may get a guy who's more of a defensive specialist. Uh, we've thrown out on the show that Paul Millsap should just be the backup center, and then maybe you get another guy who's bigger, just in case you need it. Um, but that's my – I mean, it's it's all stuff that was in the limitations of the roster. I thought Mike Malone did an excellent job. The team, you know, they're doing I, – I, they're they're operating at almost max capacity for the skill level of the team. They certainly have some guys that might pop. I mean, Michael Porter Jr., who knows what he's going to do next year. Bol Bol is extremely intriguing. The team is high on both of those guys. So, I mean, I expect to see him, especially with this short turnaround we're about to see. Um but overall, man, you know, I, I think that the criticisms of the team are clearly the defensive stuff. But as we discussed, this team showed that it can defend. It, it showed it in the playoffs. The issue came when Jokic wasn't being aggressive and Jamal Murray wasn't hot offensively. 
So how do you come up with a way when you've got one of the greatest offensive centers I've ever seen and Jamal Murray, who, if he plays at like he did in the playoffs at his ceiling, he looks like a perennial all-star type of guy. Now, how do you fill around that? I think Jeremy Grant, what we saw in that Lakers series, that's what we need next year. We need an attacking Jeremy Grant from the wing. Can he, can he score 18 to 20 a game? Possibly. You know, he clearly is, is ready for it. He did it in the playoffs. He did it against the Lakers. Um, if he can get to that level and they can figure out, you know, how to defend at the four and, and you know, what's going on with Gary Harris and Will Barton, I think there's, there's another level that this offense can reach. Because that was the disappointing thing this year. It wasn't the defense. It was the offense. The offense should have been better. This should be a top seven offense. And you didn't mention Michael Porter Jr. yet. Oh, no, I did with Bull Bull. But we don't know what he is. I know what he is yeah. defensively. And, and what, I'll, what I'll give him credit for is he sucks at defense, but it's not because he's not trying hard. The effort level is there. It's the, it's the IQ isn't there yet. And, and who knows if he'll get it. The feel is really bad. Uh, but if he can put up 25 a night, you, don't, you live with it, right? It's, it, he's hard to hunt in the regular season. And you can work around it by the time you get to the playoffs. He's a great rebounder. Uh, it's just tough when you play Jokic. You need a four that can help you protect the rim. Yeah, I believe he's 22 already. Do you think it's uh, it, it could be a bit late for him to, no. to develop the defensive skills? No, no. no. Um, I, I think that you know this was his first real NBA season. I think he's 21, right? And yeah. um, you know, growth is should be expected. He's learning the speed of the game and already we saw we saw him grow in small steps in the playoffs i thought he was much better the last three games of his of the playoffs than he was the first three games of the playoffs defensively so you know i'm not saying he's ever going to be a defensive player of the year candidate but he could at least be you know not a liability i think that that's all they need because of the way he can score the way that he works so well with Jokic as a cutter my god I mean, you can, you can see he uses all of his physicality to get open, and Jokic has this huge target to throw to, and we know Michael Porter wants to take shots, so, and Jokic doesn't. So that's a match made in heaven if he can defend enough to stay on the court. So, uh, I, I mean, he's going to get an opportunity for sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, do you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, so uh, sorry, I was having some difficulty. Yeah, I mean, like I, he's he's a uh, what you said with cutting. I mean, it's a, when when you saw that seating seating rounds, and I mean, even when it when it was a lot of injuries in the Indiana game and all that. It's Jokic is so good with those cuts. We talked about like he gets so wide open layups. Yep. Like Michael Porter can score at least eight to ten points a game just on easy bunnies because because of, like how they how they work together and it's crazy. This is a kind of goes into what you talked about the coaching. Um, you know, what kind of drives you nuts and stuff. So would you rather coach a hyper-talented, a little bit of a lazy guy, lazy player, or a less talented gym rat? I mean, you want, you want the talented guy. I'd rather try to motivate an unmotivated guy with talent than to try to work around a guy who I love because he works so hard but doesn't have the talent. And, and that, I, that probably sounds harsh, but I just think it's easier to get a guy who is talented to care than to create talent where there is none. Yeah. That being said, every team has both. Yeah. You uh, need I've, both. I've been lucky to only coach people that really wanted to be the best. And whether they had the talent to, to be or not, uh, I've never had an issue getting buy-in from people. And, you know, but I'm also up front, and I make sure 
everybody knows what their role is. And I think that that's huge too. And we've seen that with NBA teams where I think guys either have been usurped in their role where you have a bench player who outplays them and outperforms them and takes their job and they have trouble adjusting. Uh, but also guys who have been brought in as like a ninth or 10th guy that maybe worked themselves up to like a sixth or seventh man role. And, and, you know, everyone needs to be able to adjust, but I've been very lucky as a coach that I've only had guys that, and, and again, I'm not going to take the credit for this. I think it's the people I've coached. I've just been very lucky. Uh, motivation has never been an issue. It's awesome. I'm not a rah-rah guy anyway. My thing is, if you're going to show up to the gym, well, why would you want to show up and not win sure. at everything? And so I lay all this out very early. It's, you know, I, I shouldn't have to beg you to try hard. I shouldn't have to, you know, I'm not begging you to come to practice. Like, plain, plain and simple. If you want to be better, if you want to be the best, let's just do this and we'll do it all together. It's much easier to have a bunch of guys pulling one rope than it worrying about whether this guy is picking up the slack for somebody else. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely true. I, it's it's kind of, I guess that that part is always for me just inexplicable when I see the guys are just like, why are you there? Like, I mean, it's... But sometimes I think that we read too much into it, okay? Uh, like, Andrew Wiggins, I, I think, is unfairly characterized as a guy who doesn't care. I, I just don't see that at all. That's not what it is. It, like, there's not a lack of competitiveness there. Um, I, I just think that he just doesn't look like he tries hard because it's easy for him. He's an uber athlete. And so he, like, he could just jump from the free throw line and it doesn't look like he's exerting energy. Whereas for us, it's like, oh my God, man, I got to stretch. I got to do all this stuff. And, and I think that, you know, he gets unfairly penalized for that. We're going to see a lot, I think, out of Andrew Wiggins in a better environment. Uh, environment matters more than, than what our perception of a player caring. Uh, I mean, you know, Andrew, I've never seen Andrew Wiggins uh, during the season posting photos from like a roulette table in Vegas. If I saw that, I'd be like, oh, you know what? This guy probably doesn't care about basketball. But I, I think Andrew Wiggins is like, again, been unfairly characterized. And I think that's most players. When you hear they're not competitive enough or whatever, you're, you're talking on the margins. You don't get yeah. to be an NBA draft prospect without having a competitive drive. You just oh, yeah. And yeah. and you can win without being a complete psychopath as well. Yes. You know, Steph Curry is super competitive, not a psychopath. Well, LeBron <laughs> James, very competitive, not a psychopath. And, and we've just gone to the extreme, especially in America, and I, I don't know how the coverage is for you, you know, especially over in Serbia, how it differs from us, but we celebrate the psychopath way too much in our country. Yeah. In particular, I mean, politics, but business you know the crazy ceo he doesn't sleep you know he's not now they're not eating food they're drinking gruel or whatever you know because oh i gotta maximize my efficiency and all this other bullshit sorry i don't know if i can curse on here but i'm going oh, you're fine there. oh and, fine and, and i that has bled into sports maybe it bled out of sports where people were just looking for excuses calling guys soft because they get injured and can't play with a broken kneecap or whatever the hell it is so like i think typically when we start trying to play um you know, armchair psychologist is when we really go out of the realm of sports and talking about what people actually can do, what we think they might be able to do, and into this other, you know, I might as well pull out a cauldron and start, you know, making a witch's brew because I'm just bullshitting at this point. Yeah, I guess, like, well, yeah, so I don't, I'm, I'm not sure, like, Miroslav in Serbia, like, I would I would say at least as far as I was growing up, and this for the for the guys that don't try hard, I was meaning more, like, from personal experience, not, like, because you can't really know what you said. You can just watch on TV and, like, 
guess, oh, this guy doesn't compete, or some insider said about a third, you know, some uncle's source said that this guy doesn't want to try hard on practice. It's, you know, we, we're never going to know unless you're there. Right. And that's like the issue with Serbia. I think we're most, I don't think we celebrate psychos as much. I mean, you respect, you know, oh my God, this guy's crazy. A lot of times it's really fun when someone just is super talented. Like, Tadosh is one of the guys where like, it's fun to hear stories that he just smokes after practice. Oh, and yeah, 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 yeah. And that's hilarious. Like, like, oh, this guy, yeah, this guy is so that. good. And yeah. yeah. So I think that's, I, I mean, from at least from what, what my friends and how we cover kind of like when we talk about those guys, it's really good. But I think it's even more fun when there's guys like, you know, Jokic just show up. And I love when, I think like you're, you know, I was listening to your ep- last episode with Seth Bartnow. Uh, you're talking about, and he was saying about Jokic, you know, getting his minutes down and he maybe will never be in shape. I think that's such a wrong take. Like with him not being in shape is because he's not physically chiseled. I don't think that necessarily means that he can't play. Like as far as I remember that Lakers series, I think the game that Denver won, like they were, he was in, they were shape, he was in better shape than everybody. Yeah. Like Davis like was getting off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Davis was getting off the court, like on the court and like hunched over and Jokic is kind of like just his way, like trotting around and, Load managing on the court, but he knows how say, to do it well. Yeah. He's got that LeBron thing where LeBron can play 42 minutes a night, but he's load managing in a way. And and you see Jokic, like, uh, defensively in that series, he was running hard to get back. But he was saving his energy in other places. He wasn't banging when he didn't need to. He wasn't being unnecessarily physical. You know, he was like, uh, you know, he would put the ball in the floor when he had to, but for the most part, I mean, he was letting other guys bring the ball up. There were so many th- ways that because he knew for them to have a chance, he had to play 43, 44, 45 minutes. And but he was in great shape. Now, he's not going to get married again next summer. So I don't know if he can maintain this conditioning. But I do think this short p- potential short turnaround is actually going to help him. He's not going to have time yeah. to put on that weight that he put on last year. Uh, and I know every, a lot of people were disappointed um, when he came in out of shape. But he looked great by the time we got to January, February. So clearly he is taking the long game on the, on the regular season. Like it, they understand yeah. this, right? The regular season is what it is. This is a playoff team. As long as Jokic can play 65 games it's a playoff team. So I wouldn't even be surprised if we start seeing some more load management, even with like missing games here and there to, to have a fresh and ready for the playoffs. But I'm with you. I think that Seth's greater point was it's never going to be, uh, he's never going to be a better athlete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and thus, there, you know, like as far as shape goes, th- what we True. saw is probably the peak of yeah. his condition. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and again, as, as I said, like it's it's just a lot of that. That's a lot of like national take, and it's not terrible. Obviously, like it's visually because of how culture is in America as well with the fitness. You know, you start from young, and you know, you get into like even middle age, and you're still you know, advised to like work out and that's like the measure, I mean, it's a measure of society in a way here that I've noticed a lot of times than, you know, than, than difference in Serbia with, uh, he also had like, I was always like, cause I'm kind of like, I, I love the guy and like, I always am the one to just defend a lot of, maybe even over defend in a lot of cases in this way. It was like, yeah, the, the national team thing was, was kind of a disappointing end to the world cup. And I can see like also psychologically where you can just kind of go down on yourself and, you know, especially with him, he's, he was one of the youngest and he was, you know, from him, it was a lot was expected of him, especially after not playing a couple of years before and getting a lot of flack. Like he was getting 
Oh yeah. Like trashed in the media. And I was really like, I was really upset at, at for him. Like I was at that point I was yelling, like you shouldn't even play for us anymore after that kind of treatment. Right. And obviously what I'm not going to get into that. Cause we can, you know, with, so with Serbian fans, we can get into that for like forever, <laughs> but that's kind of the stuff. And I hope he, I hope he keeps going. Cause this is kind of the sweet spot with his weight and, and like mm-hmm. just how he was able to bang and be like, you know, mobile. I thought he looked great. I thought he looked great. I, and I knew all of the people who were worried when he came back for, for the Orlando bubble about him losing too much weight. It was like, no, man. This guy, he lost like 15 pounds. It's just that where he carries the weight is very visible, right? Like his yeah. face looks slimmer because he yeah. lost 15 pounds. Um, just yeah. relax. He's still, he's still not light in the ass, right, where it's important. <laughs> yeah. Great point. Yeah. Great point. Yeah. That, uh, yeah, that kind of jumps out good on the next like next question I want to ask is like, whose improvement like impressed you the most during the season? I mean, this year in general, and obviously like we can we can talk about Jamal because his like you know with his a few week turnaround was yeah, insane. insane. Yeah. That's maybe but like if you want to also cover some of the guys, they're like maybe more maybe more like minute improvements that impressed you. Like you didn't think someone had it in him. That's also open for for like discussion as well. I mean, I, I liked what I saw from Bolt. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to, like, pander here, but um, I wasn't expecting him to be a, a player in the NBA. I just wasn't. Uh, the red flags with him were through the roof from uh, an off-the-court perspective. He had, obviously, he had the, the broken foot. And with his size and build, he's got really high hips. Like, you worry about him physically as well. Everything I've heard, he's just bought right into what they're doing. They loved him down in Orlando. Apparently, he was great. And we got to see some of the fruits of, of the labor, right? Like, this is a seven foot three, seven foot two wing. Legitimate wing with a legitimate NBA three point shot out to like 35 feet. Uh, really good passer. Again, this is now a team full of crazy passers. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that his growth from the last thing I saw of him to what we got to see pre-playoffs in the bubble, I think that was pretty fantastic. And, and obviously looks great for them because they got him for nothing. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think he was probably the most impressive of the non-Jamal Jamal, category. Because yeah. Jamal, I mean, that's not even fair. Jamal, what yeah, we know yeah. about Jamal Murray is that guy is a 16-game player. When the playoffs yeah. start – he hits another level. When the pressure goes up, he hits another level. And it's so hard to even discuss those guys, I think, to a certain degree. Yeah. Because you could call him – he's an above-average point guard in the regular season. Whatever the hell he was during the playoffs was something else. Yeah. yeah. I think for him uh, – I think I'm, 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 I'm pretty sure people talked about it, but the, 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 the weight thing with him was interesting. That's kind of what I talk about yeah, when you talk about athleticism. Athleticism with players is, is not just to be athletic for athletic's sake. It's just how you use it and why. So he built up – like I saw the highlights from last year's Portland series, for example. He was slim. Like it was crazy how different – and with him he, apparently – He might have put on 10 pounds. Yeah, he's what he said. I think was thirteen, which is crazy. I mean, for for that period, and it wasn't just again, it wasn't just putting on just to put on pounds. Like with him, it was uh, a lot of like finishing in traffic, which yep. he had an issue with. Not that only he was missing those fallaways, it's just that he would also fall down, and then you're five right. on four in the back end. He was create. He he switched it around, and and post hiatus, he was actually creating the contact. Which yep. as a guy going to the hoop, when you create contact. You create space because yep. you move the defender back. 
versus the other way when the defender gets to get into your body and now all of a sudden you're taking a shot going away from the rim and, yeah. and that kind of stuff those little details again good call those little details are the difference between Steph Curry right yeah. and and what Jamal Murray was doing yeah it's, it's people yeah. people concentrate way too much on Steph's three point shooting and they don't think enough about what he does with his strength especially going to the basket finishing it inside and so when they're comparing Jamal, they're only thinking about that three ball. Jamal clearly watched Steph Curry tape and said, all right, I have got to get stronger because I need to be able to do what he's able to do. And I mean, yep. it, he was, I mean, there's, there's a, some of those layups that he was able to make, like the spinning, the 360 layup, he couldn't have made that 10 to 15 pounds yep. later. He's not yep. making that. So, yeah, and it's just yeah. The people, it's again with the, with like the, that minutia. He creates contact, and is the because of that he's he's in full balance. Like right. he has full control of his body and how he finishes. And again, he doesn't fall down, and then doesn't create other like deficiencies. And again, with all that strength, his three point shots like it's way easier if you have upper body strength that he has now to take off those shots. Lower body. Yeah, right. but I mean, he, I know like, he looks bigger up top, but I, I'm pretty sure that he got stronger in his legs. Oh yeah, yeah. For sure. I mean like that I'm talking about just the details of like he also when he when he has that, you know, to take cuz he was a lot of his threes I mean probably remember for sure is that last year and when he was missing a lot of them were going front rim yep. and it usually means a lot of like, you know, leg deficiencies and right. pulling up and and especially with his like kind of uh arm mechanics for the shot like he has a kind of a flatter release like a little lower than you know maybe on the on the top of his head so that also i think with with increasing the strength also improved in his he can do it from a pull-up more easily because he has that strength of which i think that's why i mean that's why i think he can if he keeps that going that's why yeah his improved right yeah like some of the shit he was hitting in the playoffs it was just absurd when he was going back and forth with donovan mitchell and neither guy could miss right yeah i mean just he was spin around Fade away. I, he didn't have the strength for that. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, so uh, the the NBA season is coming really fast. It appears so in like in eight weeks, seven weeks, something like that. So we are going into very short uh, uh, free uh, free agent season. Uh, the the draft is coming really fast. Uh, some of the f- uh, front offices could be a bit more conservative than in the other years because of the the short timelines and especially tim connelly led uh front office who who was always conservative in past years imagine if denver would just bring everybody back for another year what what would you say their chances are for the championship next year i mean i think it's a top four seed in the east you know um it's pretty apparent that this is one of the top four or five teams in the in or sorry not in the east in the west sorry Um, it's pretty clear it's one of the best four or five teams in the West. Uh, obviously, you got to take the Clippers and the Lakers. Um, I'll add the Warriors to that mix, just based on paper. Um, yeah. But I think Denver's right there in that conversation. I, I'd even maybe have them slightly above Houston, just because Houston's so in flux right now. You know, they're not going to have a GM. We don't even know who the coach is. Who knows what that team's going to look like, because I'm sure it's about to be a fire sale. I, I just... You know, I think the Nuggets should be Western Conference Finals favorites to a certain degree. They were one game away last season. It made yeah. the Conference Finals this year. Um, I'm not sure what the betting odds are. I don't, I don't gamble. Um, but I imagine 
them making the finals isn't that that long of an odd. Um, the, clearly, the Lakers are, are the cream of the crop right now. But the Nuggets showed that they can play with that team. And I, I think given a, a whole season of growth from them, you know, maybe this is more of a toss-up between them in, in a conference finals. I'm not sure. We'll, we'll have to see what the Lakers look like uh, next season. But I, I think Denver has a good shot at, at making a finals run. Why not? They're good. They, they showed they belong. And it's funny because on our show uh, at the trade deadline, we talked about how we all treat Denver like the little brother. And we pat them on the head because we all love that team. They're fun. They're so fun. They're so unique. Uh, and we all pat them on the head and say, good job. But you're never going to be able to actually play with the big dogs. And then what do they do? Well, they make the conference finals. So they keep proving us wrong. I wouldn't be shocked if, if they were able to do it again next year. And potentially, you know, if you get to the conference finals, you got a pretty good shot at making the finals. They should run Excellent. It back. They should run Excellent. It back. Oh, yeah, yeah. So so it's you're, you're not a proponent of, of making a big shakeup this, this offseason. I mean, you, you, you'd have to be able to get someone like Ben Simmons, uh, who I think would be great there. Uh, Marcus Smart would be a nice little shakeup, you know, um, add some more offense and some incredible defense. But I, I think if you, if, unless you're doing something that is, is like that, it's probably not worth making huge changes. You got to bring back Jeremy Grant. You, you probably should bring back Millsap, you know, if he'll come back cheap, uh, he's going to be in ring hunting mode. So who knows, but you've got the leg up because he's there already. Um, the issue for this team is going to be, you know, are they willing to pay the luxury tax to, you know, which is what it takes to win a title. Are you going to spend the money to actually win the title? And we'll see. I, I think, like you, a, a lot of teams are going to approach this offseason much more conservatively than they have in years past, not just because of, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic, but also 2021 free agency, which is is stacked. And there are a lot of really good players, including Giannis. Now, I don't know if Denver is in the Giannis sweepstakes. I think they ought to be. I think if I was Anthony Davis, I'd probably call Denver and say, hey, what do you think? Um, you know, I've been saying that all year. I, I think, that, you know, they're an Anthony Davis away from being a super team. Yeah. And so when you look at that and you say, okay, well, they've got a pretty good team now. If they could pull something like that off, then for sure do it. But otherwise, no, you keep that team together. Use your continuity. you got a great coaching staff, you know, and, and you run it back next year with your two stars anchoring your team. Okay. Thank you very much, Dave. For, for, yeah. Okay. After the Lakers series, you were the one that said, right? It was you tweeted out Anthony Davis is going to look great yeah, next to yeah. Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. Look, I like to tease Lakers fans, man. They make it a little too easy sometimes, and and you know they're they're the first yeah. ones to Photoshop. You know, Jokic has probably been photoshopped in a Lakers jersey, I'm sure, and, and I'm yeah. sure that Lakers fans have said, yeah, we could trade Danny Green and uh, uh, KCP, who's not even under contract. We'll trade them them straight up for Nikola Jokic. Even deal. Yeah. No. But Anthony <laughs> Davis should sign in Denver. It would be amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't that's like, a title team. I don't like it. But yeah, but it is. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Dave, thank you very much for joining our show. Uh, do you want to plug something for the end no, for the Serbian I mean, fans? Look, or? Please check out The Athletic. Uh, I'm, I'm not even sure if you can subscribe from Serbia, but the podcast we can. you can. Okay, the podcast you can actually get for free. Uh, if you go to theathletic.com slash NBA show, I believe you can sign up right now for a dollar a month at The yeah. Athletic, and that gets all of the writing, which is fantastic, and all the pods 
ad free, but subscribe to the pods. I mean, check out Rainbow Skyline. I, I think it's a fun show. Kendra is an up and coming uh, young beat writer, and she's excellent at at the job, and uh, so that's a lot of fun. And then obviously, you know, check out Nerder She Wrote, which hopefully, hopefully everyone in Serbia is already listening to that show. The the nerds are, believe me, the nerds yeah, are. <laughs> Okay, thank you. I will just finish the show in Serbian at the moment. Molim vas, pridružite nam se ponovo sutra uveče. Imaćemo specijalnog gosta na srpskom šovu. Pridružite nam se Edin Avdić sa Arena Sport Televizije. Spremite se da mu postavljate pitanja, pošto će emisija ići uživo od 9 sati uveče. Pripremite pitanja, pripremite komentare za Edina. Siguran sam da imate svašta da ga pitate. Hvala što ste bili sa nama i vidimo se već sutra. Pozdrav. Ćao. Pozdrav. Ćao.